Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem, exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello, and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives and give us a glimpse into their creative process. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and before we get into our interview with members of St. Paul and the Broken Bones, I want to ask you, yes, you, for your story of a life-changing song. Like, do you have a song or a record that transformed the way you saw the world? Well, if you do, tweet at us. We're at this song KUTX, or you can send us an email. It's this song at KUTX.org, or leave a comment on our Facebook page, or even call us. Go old school. Our number's 512-766-9066. We would love to put your story on this podcast. Okay, now on to St. Paul and the Broken Bones. They are a six-piece band based out of Birmingham, Alabama, and they've gained a reputation for their electric live shows. Like, Lead singer Paul Janeway has this powerful voice and totally commanding stage presence. And he, backed up by the rest of the band, like they regularly whip crowds into a delightful frenzy. Their latest record, Sea of Noise, came out last year. It's filled with songs that quote 20th century soul and funk. And seriously, you feel those songs inside, like emotionally. The band came to Austin, Texas for the Austin City Limits Music Festival. And while they were here, I got to sit down and talk with Paul Janeway, guitarist Rowan Lawler, and bass player Jesse Phillips backstage in the KUTX tent. KUTX is the radio station where we make this podcast. And all three guys, like in some way, they talked about songs that help them understand the connection between emotion and music. So here they are. St. Paul and the Broken Bones. I always, my go-to is uh, I've Been Loving You Too Long by Otis Redding. I've been loving you Oh, too long That one, I think that one changed my life for a very, for a long time. You know, Put me on a different path in life, I feel like. I've been loving you a little too long. I don't want to stop. Um, it's just that build and build, 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 and then it's like the, the desperation and emotion. Um, I'd say that'd be the one. I remember being just really, really moved by it, you know, even even as a, as a kid, I was like, because it was really the only thing 
I could really listen to besides religious music. So I was. Uh, so your parents were like religious music or Otis Redding or or a little bit of soul. Um, I mean, another song that a change is going to come. Mm-hmm. That song, it's just like that's just a great. I know that's like a a well-known one, but that that one that one that one has had a really profound impact. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come I mean, and that has a different. I mean, it's, I've been loving you so long. Is a it's a love it's song. a love song, love and the song. change is going to come. Is like, like it's the most pleading. It's a, it's kind a social. Of it's a social. social yeah, song. yeah, yeah. yeah. Con- and you guys do that, right? Like you do a change is going to come, or you have. Been. We have in the past. We uh, we actually bizarrely enough, we just did a uh, Otis Redding's seventy uh, fifth uh, birthday party. His his uh, his yeah his his. Uh, his wife Zelma asked us to come play this event, and we did. Uh, we, because Otis covered the change is gonna come. We did that song, and it it's a it's an impactful song, man. It's just it's just got that it's it's it's, it's well written and it has an incredible message, you know. It's been too hard living, oh, and I'm afraid to die. I, I, I don't. What's up there beyond the clouds? It's been a long, long time coming. I know, I know, change has gotta come. Oh yes, it is. So do you think maybe it's like apart from the songs? Do you think it's Otis Redding's voice that kind of changed? Yeah, I mean, could you keep on going back to Absolutely. Like, oh, it's no, it's the, yeah. it's the voice. Because um, it was a so... He didn't show, like, this crazy range, but it was it was what he did. It just... It was so emotional. You felt it. And and you don't necessarily... I don't, I don't know if you feel that all the time. You know, I feel like great singers you do, but uh, I think he was just really good at... I think he was probably one of the best at doing that. Do you think that being raised like because you were kind of raised to be a preacher right right right. and one of the things that preachers do is that they are able to like convey emotion and like carry people on a wave of emotion sometimes i mean do you think that that you saw some of that in otis redder absolutely i mean it's all it's it's all from the same it all comes to me from the same place uh and that that emotional being able to draw emotions out of yourself and people is a very powerful uh, thing. Uh, it's 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 what we do for a living, you know, and and uh, and we love doing it. So it's I think that's it is. It's a powerful thing. And I think the difference sometimes, I mean, f- with Otis Redding is like you can doing it live is sometimes an easier. It's an easier thing to do because you've got like people in front of you and you're communicating with them in the moment. But with with singers who can do it on a record, like. You sang this song 60 years ago, and I hear it today, and it makes me feel like... It's it's th- transcendent. Transcendent, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the magic of of Otis Redding. Yeah, I think that's... And that's 
that's that's the goal is trans is is to make transcendent music. I mean, for us, and, and I mean, we follow that blueprint. It's been so long, it's been so long, I live too long, but the change has gotta come. Like Otis Redding opened your eyes to what you could do in secular music. Yes, in the in the sense that you apply those principles that you learn in church with singing with that sense of urgency to music that you write yourself. That's not that's not necessarily for a higher cause, you know. Uh, I think that's that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, to a degree. Yeah. I don't know, and I kind of think it all is to a higher cause, right? Like if you're doing it right. Personally, yes. Like I mean, that's that's how we we kind of feel like you know bringing them to the Church of Saint Paul and the Broken Bones. You know, there's probably going to be a little more cussing, <laughs> and sexual references, and so on and so forth. But uh, it's still it's still for a higher cause. So you're here to bring people to church, like if we can. Right on. If we can. Um. I've been, I've been trying to think about a song that really changed me early on. And I was raised in the church, too, just like Paul was. Uh -huh. Were you raised in the same church? Not in like, the same church. Okay. But I, I, I was raised Baptist, Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> my, my father was a preacher. So a lot of this, the same song, I was listening to a lot of the same songs, probably. But early on, you know, honestly, my dad was in a um, acapella group. And I remember... Amazing Grace really affecting me in a major way, um, even before I realized the the weight of it, you know. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. as a kid it it made me tear up and and I hated it because I hated showing any emotion when I was a kid like I, I don't know why it was embarrassing I don't know boys right yeah like, it was, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really embarrassing to me and so I, I would I knew they were going into it because there was this whole like corral thing at the beginning of it and I hated it because I was like I'm gonna cry in front of everybody in my church I mean, it, that was really the first time that I could feel something speaking to me through music. Yeah. And it changed the way I, well, it didn't change it because I didn't have a way of thinking of it before that, but it, it definitely changed the way I looked at it or felt it for the rest of my life. Did you, when did you start playing music? Like how old? I was young. I mean, I, I was like four or five oh. when I was, but music was always around. We, we had instruments sitting around. My, my, my uncles and my father played and 
music was a big important part of life uh, for my family, for my father's side of the family. And, uh, and so if you didn't know how to play or sing or, you know, you were just the black sheep. Oh, wow. That's like know? the opposite of my family. I was the really? only person who could do any kind <laughs> yeah. of musical stuff. Like, no, I was like lucky. a unicorn. Yeah, I was, I was super lucky to, to be raised in that atmosphere. That's cool. I mean, so you kind of understood pretty early on what music could do. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah? Uh, un- I guess, I guess so, but maybe, but I didn't. But you didn't like it. It was like I know it could make me cry, but I'm like not. Well, into it made it. me feel vulnerable. Yeah. And um, and I guess that that was. I guess that's the important lesson maybe that I learned from it uh, early on. And and after a while, I just started wanting to do that to other people, just like these guys, just like anybody. I guess it's a, that's a musician you want to be able to speak to someone without saying words or in my case i play guitar uh, so um yeah i mean that was that was sort of where that's that was that was my uh gateway drug into wanting to be a mu- lifelong musician yeah and now now do you have songs that you put on to make you cry but like you like it oh yeah definitely well yeah now i love it <laughs> yeah now I'm, it. I'm like i need it you know it's therapy yeah <laughs> I mean, it sounds like there's a there's a thread running through what I hear yeah. you guys are doing. I wonder, Jesse, what you have to say uh, yeah. here. Uh, I, I don't know. I was thinking about it while these guys were sort of talking about it. Um, I know a really important um, album for me, and I mean, you could pick any of the songs off the album, but uh, when I was young and I first started getting into different kinds of music other than what my parents listened to... and whatever we played in school band and all that um i heard miles davis's kind of blue for the first time that that really changed things for me because uh, just What's important about that record is is more like it's the delivery of the material because uh, it's it's modal, it's slow developing, uh, it's all about like sound and texture and vibe. There's no words to grab onto. It's just how it sounds and how evocative that is. And uh, I mean, I'm still kind of that way. Like I, you know, words are secondary to me. So when I'm thinking about a song or like how to create a song, it's all the other stuff that I think about. I mean, that, that, that whole record, it, it's also a, a product of the strengths of the people that, that were in Miles Davis's band at the time. Like, they were the only people that could have made that record that sounded like that. And, and having anybody else cover those songs, you know, when you hear a group, because uh, I guess a couple of them are recognized as standards now, like All Blues or Freddie Freeloader or whatever. Uh, but I mean, it's not evocative in the same way as those original album versions are, and it was, I think it was recorded in the 50s too. So just how good that record sounds is still crazy. I mean, it sounds like these like 
five guys, I think it's five of them, in a room, just creating this like magical, slow-moving. Just it, and it, it's so like contextual, and um, I don't know. So uh, that I think for me that was kind of rearranged the way I thought about how music worked. I think that was the first time I, I just heard music on record, like recorded sound, completely devoid of any kind of lyrical content, or e even the melodies on that record, they're all modal, so they're not really like built into like scalar motifs in the way that a lot of like melodies are on, on record, just like they'll play the same note for six beats and then play another note that's like half a step away, you know, and hold it out. and. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it kind of just, uh, I think it was mostly just emotional and instinctual for me. How did it make you feel? Was part of it like you could feel the connection between the guys in the room or like... Yeah, and the sound of the room and you can like hear their instruments clicking like, you know, and you can hear like a guy crack a note and you can... Somebody like turns to look at one of the other guys in the band, like you can sort of hear the, like the trumpet sound a little further away, you know, I mean, it's just... Like it, really it sounds hearing... like it sounds like a living, breathing musical organism, and it doesn't sound mechanical or like manufactured at all. Um, if that makes sense. To hear in a recording, like it sounds like what you heard was what all recordings are, but it's hard to think of them that way. Like it's just a moment in time. Yeah. Like yeah, you actually no, exactly. hear a moment in time between people. Well, a lot of, and I think a lot of the like knowing more about music and and some about jazz and stuff. I mean, I think a lot of the classic jazz recordings are considered classic because of the performances on the record could have only happened during that time with those players and it'll never happen like that again. And not to compare our last record to the uh, <laughs> classic jazz records of yours, but I think, I think when, we made, uh, when we made this record, uh, Sea of Noise, the one that we've just put out, I, I think we did kind of approach it in like, let's make a record that really only our band can make right now. Like it's a combination of these specific like strengths and ideas uh, and, and talents of these players, like 
I mean, it would be hard for somebody to cover a lot of those songs with just an acoustic guitar and like make a you know a reasonable representation of it. It's uh, it's just it's a, just a different approach and like. Um, so trying to get like a representation, like you were saying, just like a representation of like what you are and what you can do. Right. At this point. This particular juncture. This particular yeah, juncture. Uh, yeah. You know, and and our our band had 500 shows under their belt, you know, going into making this record as opposed to 10 when we made the first <laughs> one or something. So, I mean, it was more of an opportunity to, to really explore those strengths and, and just, you know, I, I think I think the new record sounds cool and a lot of that's credit to the, the production and the engineering and, and stuff, but I mean, that, that was it. I mean, it was like, let's use the room sounds, let's use whatever's at our disposal, you know, to make a vibier more sonically evocative record. Well, man, thank you guys so much um, for sitting down with me. I know you've got a lot of stuff to do, but appreciate you guys. No, it's great talking to you. Yeah. Thank you. Is it the way that I move with you? You got me feeling like from St. Paul and the Broken Bones latest record, Sea of Noise, a record that could only have been made by that band at that certain time. The band that will be touring North America from now through the fall. They're going pretty much everywhere, and they are also doing some dates with Hall & Oates, which is a really good fit. And if you live in Austin, you can see St. Paul and the Broken Bones performing with Hollow Notes on September 22nd at the Cedar Park Center. I'll post a link to their tour dates on the show notes page for this episode at ktx.org. And I'll also post the Spotify playlist for this episode. There you'll be able to find all the songs we referenced during this interview all the way through. And if you liked this interview, you should totally become a This Song subscriber go to the podcast app or stitcher or wherever you get your podcast become a subscriber that way you'll get next week's interview with matthew sweet delivered right to you and you'll also find our archive we have over 93 episodes talking to people like mark mothersbaugh and tegan and sarah about life-changing musical experiences lots of good listening for you and that's it you have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen. This interview was recorded by Jack Anderson. Taylor Wallace curates our Instagram account. Kelly Seal is our excellent intern. And thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at this song KUTX. You can like us on Facebook, and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, Austin Music Minute, Liner Notes, and Song of the Day on iTunes. And if you have a moment, we would love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.